got all church quiet in here for a second. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome again to the Good Trash Genre Cast. We're a bunch of people, in this case, a bunch of people, gather around a table and discuss the films you'll never discuss in a film studies course. It is episode 300, 300 today, and so we are taking a break from our Western Anti-Trash Marathon and looking at James Cameron's Titanic. Um, so, uh, without any further ado, I want to go ahead and make introductions first. Because we got lots of them to make. Uh, so going around the table with my left, sir, who are you? My name is Dalton Stewart, and I'm here living it up at the Boatel, California. <laughs> Very good. Ma'am, who are you? My name's Alexander Bohannon, and Jack, draw me like one of your French girls. Oh, yeah, and I also uh, do a podcast called uh, Soundtrack on the Cinematic Schematic. Love that quote. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, my name is Heath Huffman. I do uh, The Praise Down with Heath and Alex. Uh, I also do a podcast called Paneled. It's a comic book narration table read podcast. And uh, the boat is thick. <laughs> very good, very good. Who are you, sir? Uh, hi, my name is Caleb Masters uh, from thecinematropolis.com and also co-host uh, Soundtrack with Alexandra on the Cinematic Schematic. Uh, and uh, Dustin, I, I believe you are blushing, Mr. Big Podcaster. I can't uh, imagine... Terry Gross, blushing. Uh, no, I can't either because I only ever listen to her on the radio. <laughs> Very good, sir. Uh, who are you, ma'am? Hi, uh, I am Kirsten Thurkelson. Uh, I write uh, The Frightful Femme for uh, GoodTrashMedia.com. Um, and uh, James Cameron is horny for the sea in a way that is usually only reserved for sea captains. <laughs> Very good, very good. And who are you, sir? I am Arthur Gordon, and thank you for that fine forensic analysis. You're very welcome. My name is Dustin Sells, and I'm going to write a very strongly worded letter to the committee of the White Star Line. Um, and I'm so glad to be here with you all. Oh, I've so, just just everyone who's been voices, you know, over the we haven't got everybody, everybody in the room, but we've got close to it uh, today doing episode 300. So this is going to be a very, very fun time. In case you're tuning into the Good Trash Honorcast for the very first time, this is not a review show oh no it is an analysis show and that means we will be spoiling it the boat sinks oh, i did it already sorry um but we will be uh talking about how the plot reveals itself but we will give you the briefest of reprieves it will look like this we'll have a synopsis from the voice of the cinema then we'll all do our thumbs up thumbs down reviews usually we play a game but there are too many of you in this room and i don't want to play and uh <laughs> therefore we will not do that and then we'll get right down to analysis and that means uh there will be spoilers at that point so without any further ado mr arthur gordon voice of that there cinema let's hear that synopsis please a 17-year-old aristocrat falls in love with a kind but poor artist aboard the luxurious, ill-fated RMS Titanic. All right. Well, there you go. That is um, kind checks of what out. happens. Um, checks out. Yeah. She's 17? I, she, I had no idea. Yeah. Because oh, she looks significantly older than Leo, but I know that's because he's like forever Perpetually young. 16? Yes. Yeah. They're both in their mid-20s. Uh, Leo didn't look like he was 20 until he was at least 45. Yeah. That checks out. It's a play. He's got a real Jack thing going on yeah, for him. He really does, yeah. So, well, there you go, dear listener. You know what's happening in the movie. Now you need to find out whether or not we like it. Dalton, thumbs up, thumbs down review on Titanic. I think we all forget how good this movie is uh, in the intervening years that pass between viewings. Uh, I mean, this movie is a big damn deal when it came out. Uh, and I think we'll probably talk about that more when we get to analysis about the, kind of the cultural impact of this film. We talked a little bit uh, about it when we talked about Stagecoach and we talked about this kind of phenomenon happening when The Exorcist came out. And I think you see something very similar with this film. And uh, then there's a huge backlash about how it's overrated and kind of sucks and shouldn't be on the AFI Top 100 list. 
and yet every couple of years people go back and revisit it and it turns out it's great and there's a lot there it's it's rife for analysis it looks like it came out yesterday um and everybody is just showing up to work james cameron uh paints on the biggest uh canvas possible and uh makes a story that for all of its cheese and goofery makes you cry when it's supposed to make you cry makes you laugh when it's supposed to make you laugh and makes you horny when it's supposed to make you horny it's uh it's... <laughs> the clap says it all that's what happens yeah. when <laughs> yeah was it it the... does its job was it the beginning with the boat yeah, well, it's the okay. beginning of the book. <laughs> I'm not sure what you're referring to. The imagery of the submarines going under, are, the submersibles. Are you suggesting that Dalton had a boner because yes. he saw the Titanic that he knew was going to sink? I have never recorded a podcast without a boner. <laughs> <laughs> as soon as that fake archival footage rolled, Dalton was ready to go. <laughs> Me and James Cameron just can, love them both. Dalton, Dalton, Dalton. Can we, can we get that clean? Yeah. <laughs> I just need a new ringtone. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Well, uh, go ahead. It, it, this is much like this podcast. Uh, <laughs> the real Titanic was the friends we made along the way. Uh, and, and here at episode 300, it's so nice to have uh, all of our, our... We've had a lot of guests come and go throughout Good Trash uh, Doors over the years. And uh, it's nice to have... Uh, Four of our most frequent collaborators, two of whom were just damn on the show for several years. It's just nice to have the whole family together. And uh, hopefully, you know, we don't have to hold each other as we die, uh, like in this movie. But uh, yeah, I mean, this podcast is a, is a microcosm for a lot of things. And I think Titanic is that as well. It's uh, it's the story of a boat, sure, but it's the story of class and a whole bunch of other stuff. And we'll get into that more when we get to analysis. So yeah, I like it a lot. All right. Well, thank you very much for that, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Miss Alexander Bohannon, let's hear what you think about Titanic. Hi. So if any of you have ever listened to this show before, you know that for uh, it's it's almost a meme in the sense that most of the time I'm watching a movie for the first time for this show. Uh, and uh, Titanic. Accurate. <laughs> Titanic is actually um, an exception, but only barely, because I had only seen Titanic last year for the very first time uh let's cite the fact that neither my parents who are in almost 60 and 60 have i neither of them have seen this movie either so this is kind of like a generational thing um so the first time i saw it was in dolby the dolby re-release um remastering oh my god wow uh obviously you know the boat sinks going into it but you are not prepared for everything else that happens along the way and i went in with uh, some trepidation and uh you know of course the overratedness you get cited to you a lot and i was blown away with the movie that i was delivered and i kind of fathom at the fact that people consider this film to be overrated when it is three hours long and it doesn't feel like it it is well paced um it is well acted it is well shot everything about it is uh, it's it's close to perfection if not perfection itself uh, modern day classic i couldn't say anything better about this movie and i was like okay is that going to hold up on a normal size tv in the middle of the afternoon for a rewatch with a bunch of friends yes yes it does and i was pleasantly surprised so um only thumbs up from this corner here all right thank you very much for that miss alexander bohanna what do you say mr heath huffman i had also only barely seen this film one time uh, and it's uh, something that I had uh, un unrepressed, sort of, uh, it was connected to a sort of uh, 
honestly very uh, comical childhood trauma that I suffered. Um, and so I had kind of repressed and short sold the film saying, ah, two people love each other is a boat. Boat sucks. <laughs> Turns out. <clears throat> and it's sad. The end makes sense. Uh, but I... But I watched it again. Couldn't remember for the life of me what traumatized me about it when I was 10 years old. And uh, remembered. <laughs> uh, so if the, if the Titanic... If, it's nothing if not effective. Uh, and, uh, and, it, and it has a lot of things to say about social inequality and uh, just sort of uh, how uh, trivial things can become when uh, survival is a question. And it has a lot of uh, sort of interesting and convincing sort of social ramifications that I happen to enjoy. So a um, a timid, um, shaking thumbs up from me. <laughs> <laughs> very. <laughs> Thank you very much, Mr. Heath Huffman. Mr. Caleb Masters, what say you? Uh, well, everyone has said it pretty well so far. I don't know about quite shaking, timid, scarred for lifeness, uh, at least not on the second or third viewing. You're trembling. I am trembling. <laughs> might be the coffee or might be the cold from the, uh, uh, with the North Atlantic waters. Caleb, you go. I go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, this movie's great, and I don't want to repeat what's already been said, so one thing I want to hone in on is that I feel like this is one of those great romantic epics because when you tune in to watch this movie of course everybody knows the history everyone knows the titanic sinks but what's really great about this film uh, on top of uh, you know some of the commentary on social inequality uh, on top of the incredible production value and the special effects and the acting and everything that's already been mentioned is that once you start investing in these characters in the story, you kind of forget that the ship's going to sink. You're so ingrained and invested in these characters and the journey they're on that you forget about any of the craziness that's about to ensue, which makes the, the tragedy of the sink hit so much harder than I, I think it could have if it was just a boring movie about just the ship sinking. And I think James Cameron, people give him people give him flack a lot. And uh, and yes, there are cheesy caricatures in this movie, but I kind of like it. I think it's kind of endearing. It's you, you remember it. It's unforgettable. The cheesy lines stick with you. Uh, so I think this is uh, one of those like once in a lifetime classics where you watch a romance that's with this backdrop of a tragedy. I can't think of too many. There's only a handful of other movies that have ever pulled that off in this way. That also also had uh, some more cultural impact. Uh, maybe like Gone with the Wind, for example, would be the other one that comes to mind. So I, I really do think this is a movie that is on that level. Um, less racist to this one, which oh, is nice. Oh, significantly less racist than Gone with the Wind. Well, based well, on the complete lack of African Americans. Unless we're counting racism against ethnic whites, in which case this movie has a field day, and I love it. <laughs> also, if you want to cite like white privilege in the sense it's like, oh, yeah, slave, let me go into the slave boat and roll. Oh, or I'm like, whoa, where did that come from? It's like... All right, I guess it's apropos for the time, but oof, damn. Has has James Cameron ever met an Italian? <laughs> Pizza pie. An excellent question. He he thinks he has. That's all that matters to him. He saw Borat Mario. and said, "Oh, Italians." <laughs> he also thinks he's he also thinks he's met a lot of Irishmen too. Let me tell you. Well, thank you very much, Mr. Caleb Masters. What do you say, Miss Kirsten Thurkelson? Okay, so I have a, an interesting experience with uh, the Titanic in that my mother was, was obsessed with it my entire life, both the movie and the actual uh, ship and whole event. Wow. Um, so I actually, as we were sitting there watching it, I was just like, 
it was like a pop-up video. I was like piping in like, oh, that really happened. <laughs> uh, you're citing everything. <laughs> Just to paint the rest of you a picture here, something awful would occur. And Kirsten would say, that happened. <laughs> As if to... As if to spike the ball. <laughs> so you're just like the dudes in the uh, in the prologue who are like, "Yeah, look how cool this this uh, this uh, shink, sinking ship was! Oh my gosh, uh, I, I just love geeking out about all the details about how that actually happened." And Rose is like, "Yeah, yeah. traumatizing an old lady." <laughs> yeah, thank you for nerding out about my trauma. <laughs> Literally, my life-defining trauma. Um, <laughs> it's, I, I mean, it's not even, it, I would, okay, I would compare it to, like, the kids who grew up feeling like they were born knowing that Darth Vader was Luke's father, like, never really getting a chance to take the time and, like, sit down and appreciate the media from start to finish because you feel like it's just so ingrained in your bloodstream. So the first time that I ever got to like sit in my adulthood and watch this movie from start to finish and really appreciate what was going on with it. And like knowing anything about film at that point was like the five or six years ago, like the 20th anniversary when they had the re-release, I was lucky enough to catch up with that. And I gross cried for 45 minutes at the end. Solid. Um, which is a place that I think that this film really succeeds because I hate when movies try to make me feel something. I hate it. I feel like so many uh, romantic tragedies, uh, romantic dramas, anything like that, that's like, you're going to cry today. Have fun. Uh, I, it feels cheap. And it feels kind of like emotion porn. Um, but I think Titanic is the only movie that, like, always makes me cry that I don't hate for it. Like, it work it really works for that emotionally, I think. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's three hours long, but, like, God, it takes its time making you feel the things that it wants you to feel. And I think that that is good. Um, so yeah, nothing but, nothing but glowing reviews over here. I mean, there's some, there's some goofiness to be made fun of for sure. And there's some, some of the classism stuff really kind of hits you over the head in a way that I didn't notice before. It's like really there. Like in case you didn't notice it's there, it's there. Um, but I, I think this movie is fantastic and yeah, definitely a modern classic and God has it aged well. Awesome, really? Man. Yeah. All right. Thank you very much, Miss Thurkelson. What do you say, Mr. Arthur Gordon? I, I think every movie wishes that it could look this good after more than two decades. I mean, it looks like it came out yesterday. Uh, that's how well it holds up. And that's Cameron's thing. I mean, he makes movies that hold up well over time. Even Terminator 2, you know, you look at it now and those effects still really hold up. And it's it's super impressive what he's able to do. And it, he gets so much flack now because he makes a movie like every 20 years now. Um, but when he puts it out, it, it works well. And, and, and Titanic, I think, really shows that off. Uh, I, I thought a lot about Jurassic Park when it opens. Uh, uh, there's that kind of magical thing coming in, especially when the helicopter's flying out to the ship. There's like a similar score cue to yeah. as well. Yeah, Kirsten uh, and I both looked at each other like, Massive Jurassic Park yeah. vibes, yeah. and it's also that thing the of Velociraptor. yes, the Velociraptor on the. Sh <laughs> this is the, the door ship locks, that then I had to open the door locks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
they brought the T-Rex over to the States and it just <laughs> stank. Um, but yeah, it's, it's doing that same kind of, I think, you know, fantasy, uh, thing that Jurassic Park does because every kid wants to see dinosaurs and, and Jurassic Park really brought that to life. And I think a lot of people, especially in the early nineties and stuff, there's a lot of fascination about the Titanic. And so this really brought that to life. And I think it kind of hits on similar, uh, notes there. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it is an impressive achievement. I, I don't have much negative to say. I, I will say, I think some of the dialogue just doesn't work very well. There were things, I, I hate the heavy handed thing that they do. We're like, oh, we've got to get our headlines. Like, wink, wink. I, obviously, you know, those kind of things that play into what we know about the ship. Um, and how they try to make jokes out of that or something. It just, There's a lot of weird fan service for, yeah. I feel like. <laughs> for a Titanic movie? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yes. Who needs life boats for an unsinkable <laughs> ship? Yeah. Stuff, yeah. Uh, or so, the, the tar- I'm sure the Titanic truthers were, were so happy about it. <laughs> uh, and, and so that's my one nitpicky thing about that. Other than that, I, I think this movie works on, on all levels and it's so well put together that, like Dalton said, you kind of forget about it and then you watch it again like, wow, it is, it is impressive that this, this works so well. So I'm, I'm pro on it. Awesome, awesome. Well, so my, my, my. Here's Mr. Negative. My thoughts, uh, no, there's a journey for my thoughts, cause I have to say, I initially hated Titanic. And the reason why is because I had the view from steerage. Um, because I worked at the theater when this movie came out. I was working the production oh, no. booth and dealing with all those bougie people as they were having to see the movie. And I was working to make sure that they had the best experience they possibly have in the I'm, middle of I'm the a catastrophe. Gen, I'm a Gen Xer, and I was there when it happened. <laughs> I thought he was so, going to say he was actually in no. steerage on <laughs> on the ship. So, so, because so, he's so old. So if we're, if we're following the analogy here, you you were like one of the crew crew members scrambling to make all the rich people feel good about it. I was down in the boiler yeah, room. Yeah, you were the guy that <laughs> narrowly makes it through the uh, pressure or door. celluloid, whatever you want to say to make sure this thing happens. But, you know, it was crazy because I was in a small town. We had a single screen theater at this point. We hadn't done the remodel. We're, we're, there are three screens now uh, at the Liberty Theater in Carnegie, Oklahoma these days. Go check them out. It's great hot dogs um, for you to have there. But um, anyway... Uh, it was crazy because every once in a while a movie would be so big that we would show doubles. And we hated when we showed doubles because doubles meant we had to work twice as long. And we're all high school kids and we don't want to be there any longer. And this is a three bloody hour long movie. For Titanic, we showed triples, my friends. And that is a lot of my life because you've got to be there a couple hours before. You've got to be there a couple hours after. You've got to run the leaf blower to get all the popcorn to the front in between the screenings. Yeah, by the way, we cleaned with a leaf blower during Wow. this it was that extreme for yeah. as much sympathy as james cameron shows the working class it sure didn't carry <laughs> huh exactly my point yeah fair fair exactly. also i've worked in a movie theater much after dustin did still common practice yeah, yeah but so with all of that and i didn't so it was it was it was hard for me to get into it but i went ahead and caught it you know when it came back on hbo or whatever a, a year and a half two years later and it's a great movie it's a lot of fun it's very enjoyable i think one of the mo- one of the things that's really incredible about it is the the spoiler thing that we've sort of been talking about everyone knows the boat sinks however if you're watching and paying any attention at all everyone knows rose lives because rose is there and so there's no, I mean, as far as like the revelation of any of what happens throughout the rest of the story, it, you know everything that's coming and yet you are enthralled, you are tied up with every single moment and you want to see the how of how it unfolds. You pretty much know Jack's dead because you know her name's Calvert, not Dawson. And so 
again, if you're thinking about these things at all, all of that sort of dramatic tension has already been relieved before you even get started, and yet you are watching every single moment of the movie as it comes forward. So it's great. It's it's a lot of fun. Um, it's a great romantic tale. It's a great tragedy, and it's a great sort of, in, in some ways, a historical depiction of uh, a terrible, terrible catastrophe. So those are my thoughts. Thoughts. Those are all our thoughts uh, regarding the movie Titanic. We'd like to hear about your thoughts, dear listener, and we do that via those magical means known as social media. So, Dalton, say the words. I will do that, Dustin, and I will keep it short. We've got a lot to get to, so I will skip my usual rigmarole about how you're slowly killing yourself uh, via your 45 caliber broadband connection. Uh, so, we're on Twitter, at good underscore trash. Go there to find us. You can send us long-form feedback at goodtrashgenrecast feedback. at gmail. Thank you, Arthur. <laughs> you can send us long-form feedbacks. I'm going to keep it going. Uh, at goodtrashgenrecast at gmail.com. Uh, of course, you've listened to a podcast before. It's that time where you can fill out your bingo card. Yes, please rate, review, and subscribe to the show on iTunes because, look, everybody just uses that one. We're also on Stitcher, though, if you're weird. Uh, <laughs> you can also donate financially to the show if you're so inclined at patreon.com forward slash GTM. It, you know, you don't have to. It helps us keep the lights on. Uh, I have a, a bit of uh, speaking of what other people want to say. Uh, our dear friend, uh, Nick Sanford, cannot be here tonight. Uh, f- filmmaker, friend of the show from way, way back, and now my brother-in-law. It's uh, yeah. very it's very exciting. Uh, he has sent me something very long to read, and I will uh, get through it as quickly as I can, and I'll skip parts that get boring. But the end. This movie means a lot. <laughs> this movie means a lot to Nick. So I said, "Hey, I know you can't be here. Is there anything you want to say?" Uh, so here we go. Good trash. Greetings and salutations, good trash speakers and listeners. It is I, Nick Sanford, and I was hoping you would come to me last night. Dark forces beyond comprehension have kept me from today's recording of Titanic. Luckily. <laughs> I have the power to possess Dalton Stewart's body and use him as a vessel for my speaking and bidding, with special thanks to a Ouija board and my general belief in Satanism. Oh, my God. (laughs) So much has been written about Titanic over the last two decades, positive and negative about everything from the sociological to the technological, that I can really only speak to my own personal experience with it. I was eight years old when the film came out in in late 1997, and I still distinctly remember America at the time. Chris Farley had just passed away, the secrets of Bill Clinton's dick and balls were starting to unravel, and the last truly great James Cameron film, and the last truly great film James Cameron would ever make, slowly started taking over every box office in the world. It's three hours and seven minutes from the Paramount logo to the moment the end credits begin to roll, and seeing it in the theater felt like 60 seconds. It was a sensory overload. From the amazing special effects, most of which still hold up today, due to an ingenious mix of practical sets, realistic miniatures, and CGI gluing it all together, to the depiction of unfair social classes, something I'd never really known about before then, to the sweeping love story, something that's surprisingly progressive for a big-budget Hollywood romance, making most others look pre-Stone Age in comparison to the fact that the good guy dies at the end. That last one in particular got me. Walking in the parking lot afterwards, trying not to cry, I remember asking my mom why Jack and everyone else had to die. They didn't do anything wrong. Sometimes the good guy doesn't always win, she said. It was a starting revelation to me as a sweet young boy, plugging me into the bittersweet and melancholic feelings that most emotionally true stories end with. E.T. and Elliot parting ways, Rick standing in the Casablanca airport watching his true love fly away with her husband, Batman, soiling his good name to protect the people of Gotham, etc. 
Progress can't be made without sacrifice, and Titanic was the first movie to really make me think long and hard about that concept, which is why, at the end of the day, it's hard for me to consider Titanic a love story at all. I think more than a love story, it's actually a coming-of-age tale about one woman taking agency of her own life, of her own expressions of creativity and sexuality and perspective. I've heard some argue that setting a story like that against a backdrop that includes thousands of real-life tragic stories is gross, and there's some merit to that, I suppose. But something like Titanic coming along is very important, especially to young people, women and men, just getting in touch with their imaginations, emotions, and bodies for the first time, simply because it's such a dense film that it almost demands to be thought about and discussed with other people. The rewards of digging into the sexual politics of the relationship, the personal journey that Rose makes, and the pursuit of embracing life that she really wants, the presence of Bill Paxton and the real-life issues of class and disaster that inspired the story to be told in the first place are what make the film as endearing as it has been. It's just never seemed to lose much social relevance, both the film itself as well as the real-life event, the ultimate slap on the hand from the universe whenever mankind gets too cocky about what it can achieve and the human cost of that hubris. I've heard many in the generation of filmmakers before me, such as J.J. Abrams or Christopher Nolan, talk about how similar Star Wars was to them. The immersive, the immersive quality of going to another world that had never been done before in cinema history. I wouldn't speak for any other filmmakers around my age, but Titanic had a similar effect on me. It presented a world of possibilities to me about all that cinema is capable of, helping me form ideals to aspire to creatively and personally. In closing, Titanic has always been and probably always will be an important part of my life it taught me at a young age what a healthy and respectful respectful romantic relationship can be can look like my wife walked down the aisle to part of james horner's iconic score and it remains one of the movies that connected us as friends in the first place so before i give back dalton his free will i just want to say that the most remarkable thing about titanic above all else is that bill paxton has the last line of dialogue of the entire movie Seriously, the most expensive and highest-grossing movie ever at the time had the goofy Texas kid from Weird Science and Twister close the whole fucker out. Fuck the haters, packs and rules, Private Hudson for president, y'all. Sanford out. <laughs> well, huh, where, where, where am I? We're not going to... Dear listener, you don't have to use social media. You too, with simply a Ouija board and a couple candles, can also <laughs> bring your feedback directly to Dalton Stewart. Where are my pants? Our yeah. most possessable friend. Well... <laughs> It's because his will's so weak. The, the purest heart, the weakest will. Yeah, we're gonna we're we're not gonna top that. So we'll just see you all next week. But up, up, but up, up. Yeah, that was beautiful. Yeah, thank you very much, Nick, for that, and thank you, Dalton, for the social media corner. Um, Arthur, I understand you have an announcement you'd like to make. Yeah, so in honor of episode 300, uh, we're going to start running a giveaway uh, throughout the rest of the month. Uh, we've assembled a Western-themed prize pack, so stay tuned to uh, social medias if you are on there uh, to find out how you can win uh, uh, that fun bit of action. At good underscore trash, if you want to get on that sweet, sweet uh, prize train. we got, like, prizes and giveaways. I feel like yeah. sugary children's cereal now. It's excellent. Are they sugar pops or the uh, Frosted Flakes? Uh, well, what's going to happen to me? That's what i gotta, I got to know. I have to know ahead of time. <laughs> I can't decide. Patreon uh, subscribers, don't forget to get on these prizes. You help pay for them. <laughs> <laughs> Shucks. So there you go, dear listener. Um, we would usually play a game at this point, but we will not. We will simply at this time get down to business. It's business. It's business time. I know what you're trying to say. You're trying to say it's time for business. It's business time. Ooh, 
That's right, dear listener. And that business is, as always, that sweet, sweet analysis. And I'm very, very excited to be talking with this large group. And I want to open up with a meta question uh, for the round table today. And that meta question is this. This film is a uh, most nominated film ever for Academy Awards. It is uh, the only film ever to be so nominated to not win in any of the actor categories. I just leave that there. Um, but nonetheless... Um, and it also is a winner of Best Picture. This is the Good Trash Genre Cast, episode 300, and we're doing this movie for this. So I have, I guess, a two-parter, two-pronged question. What's Good Trash, and is Titanic that? God, yeah. T- time for the thesis moment of the show, I guess, huh? I uh, So when I pitched this idea, I was, I was really thinking, because this fell during Anti-Trash, and it was before we decided to do a Western-themed Anti-Trash. But I really felt Titanic, I mean... It's a joke, but I mean, it's a huge movie. And so I I think there's a question there of, you know, dealing about what's going to show up in a film studies course and what all that entails. I mean, you've got to talk about cultural impact. You know, yeah, this isn't some art house cinema, you know, bit of existential crisis, but it still made a major impact Uh, from a technical standpoint the things Cameron's doing, the, the, the technologies he's developing to be able to shoot underwater and to put this thing together. And, and then just the reach it. I mean, it stayed number one for 15 weeks. It has not been rivaled in that way. I mean, it was the first mi- film to make that one million mar- or one billion mark. I mean, everybody saw Titanic. We we joked about everybody seeing Infinity War. Everybody saw Titanic multiple times. I'm sure if you know if they were able to make it to the theater then. And you know, I saw it in small town Oklahoma. It was standing room only uh, to see that. You know, and it ran for weeks. And uh, I think when you're having that discourse on film, you know, um, you've got to keep those factors in mind. And there's still a lot here to pick out as far as, you know, looking at story structure, narrative structure, editing, cinematography, scoring, and how all of that relates to a unifying narrative and, and thematic thread. Uh, and then, you know, pulling the the Oscars element into it, you know, there there was a really major shift along probably with the new Hollywood and independent cinema where the Academy moved away from these type of, you know, popular films, you know, in, in the seventies, we saw star Wars get nominated or Rocky get nominated, but really those were the last of its kind. You know, once we moved into the eighties and nineties, it was a lot more just indie fair, kind of those critical darlings. And it feels like Titanic was the last of the kind of huge pop culture movement films that really got awarded. And I think there's that discourse of, Oh, that's just a genre film. Why is that getting so much love or whatever? But, it had an impact, and I think popular cultural reach has a lot of say on a film's importance and its legacy. And, and, and that's why I think, you know, what is good trash? You know, we always define it as, uh, you know, the, the action cinema that you wouldn't talk about in a film studies course or things of that nature. But I, I think there's a lot more to this film than just that, and, and I think it is a good teaching point on a number of levels. Yeah, I, Dustin, you, you bring up this uh, point sometimes on the show about uh, the surrealists uh, and the absurdists working through like, you know, the 20s all the way up through the 40s and 50s uh, and, and how they had this frustration with mass commerce, you know, art that didn't engage people aggressively that wouldn't make a change. Uh, and we kind of butt back against it on the show sometimes and say, no, it's it's the pop art that ends up making the change. You've got to get your your points into the pop art because that's what people see. And I think when something goes this big you have to talk about it because even if it didn't mean to do anything it did something and any anytime something takes over the cultural zeitgeist to this aggressively where it becomes a part of the human unconscious you have to unpack it and i think this kind of broad four quadrant appeal that titanic has 
forces you to have to talk about it as good trash, even if you would talk about it in a film studies course for just purposes of its legacy. I think it's a really solid, uh, honestly, once-in-a-lifetime intersection of good and trash film. It's good because it, uh, well, it's good. <laughs> it, 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 it cleaned up at the Oscars. It's, uh, I mean, and it's, and it's trash, and the way that I'm defining trash there is uh, what you might call uh, like junk food movies if you're bad at parties. Like it ain't Fellini, mm-hmm. but it's like a it's like one of those few times where good and trash agree, and uh, very cool. Well, I think we, several of us mentioned in our reviews that the like, for example, like the dialogue and the writing is kind of trash a lot of times, and it embraces that in a way that I do think good trash films do. And isn't apologetic for it. So even though it is successful in a number of other categories, I do think there's a lot of really strong elements of good trash that is present in Titanic. Even though it kind of had the prestige and the money and the you know the cleanup of the awards, I think there's a lot of similarities. I mean, you guys have talked about other camera movies like Aliens and Terminator 2, and I think those same things that make those films good trash are also present in Titanic. All right, um, I, I tend to agree, and, and I'll tell you one thing. First of all, this film will never find its way into a film studies course syllabus because it is three and a half hours long. That, I, mean, I mean, just practicalities will come to, to play there, and um, had a long discussion with one of my instructors. I had to make a syllabus at one point uh, for one of my classes. Like, yeah, you got to think about length because you can't make them watch a long one. I'm like, oh, yeah, good point. Um, so <laughs> there is that, but I think it's good trash because it is just a disaster film. It is – that's all it is. It is a disaster film that is – and the reason why it gets that critical acclaim is because it's taken on a budget, obviously. It's taken on a scope, and it's taken on a sort of a level of production that's able to elevate. That's why Lord of the Rings wins an Oscar yes. uh, by the time Return of the King comes around. It's That is just genre film too. It's exactly the same kind of thing, but the, the Academy at those two different moments sort of recognized just sort of the level of production, the achievement that you're dealing with uh, with this film. And so this film, I think, is quintessential good trash because you have the same kind of things working in other genre films. You know, the great example I like to give all the time when I tell people about the show is I talk about Gremlins as it's a great movie. It's perfect, and every, it's paced perfectly. Everything's going on great, and there's a lot to talk about that's going on within that particular film. But unlike Gremlins, this has a much more massive scope. It's got the notable stars, and it's got that extra bit of, again, sort of budgetary production prestige uh, behind it. And sometimes we talk about big-budget movies, um, usually that are flops uh, on the on the show. We talk about lots of genre films. And so this movie kind of works as a fun intersection. And so when Arthur suggested doing Titanic for the show, I'm like, yeah, this is this is what we're doing. So anyway, I wanted to ask the meta question first. Anybody else have any thoughts on that before I move on? It's a movie. It's a movie that's I always remember it being worse. Yeah. I th- I yeah. think that's uh I think that's the most concise way that I can think to put it. I think mm-hmm. everybody does. Uh Unspooled recently uh talked about this uh the podcast with uh Amy Nicholson from the LA Weekly and Comedy's Paul Shear where they go through the AFI Top 100 and that was a big talking point on the episode they did about Titanic is that it is a punchline culturally and I think as I mentioned there at the start of the show I think we all forget how good it is. Because uh, it, yeah, it slaps. It's it's great, and uh, it. I think it makes sense for it to be on the AFI Top 100 in a big way. I think that it falls in the same place as a lot of epic tales yeah, and Hur, stuff like and that. a lot of yeah blockbuster films fall where i mean yeah there's that broad appeal but also that doesn't exclude there being you know an art for it, like an art to it 
for sure. But absolutely. One thing that always leaves me pondering in questions of um, like belongingness on top lists, you know, AFI type of lists is the like the literal means of distribution, which actually can tie into Titanic's like kind of socio economic class reading too is frequently whenever you look at the Academy Awards, you're seeing like people uh, voting on films that big blocks of the country can't see for more than a weekend. Um, And so Titanic became a cultural phenomenon also from like the literal reach of it. Everyone could talk about it. And like the fact that it was validating to, you know, flyover quote flyover states like us, us, we fine folk um, that you can actually see a film that's relevant to you. And that film is validated with an award and it is unfortunate in the current uh, climate. I think the Academy is trying to do a cultural shift, but that they're kind of doubling down on, you know, otherizing, you know, the, that's the popular movie debate of making the popular Oscar and everything because they, heaven forbid, you know, movies that the flyover states can see will win an Oscar at all, um, which, you know, makes me kind of upset. But I think that's, Titanic has that kind of lasting appeal because it, because everyone could talk about it, you know, um, less fortunate people, the richest people in the world could like watch the same movie um, and they could probably get wildly different takeaways, but... <laughs> I just don't understand why the film's so mean to Billy Zane. <laughs> Hi, here, here now. I'm I'm Connecticut <laughs> Titanic watcher. That's this character. Oh my god! Spoken so by the person in the room with the most Billy Zane like hair. <laughs> Valid. Oh, he doesn't have hair now. Real talk. Billy Zane, I googled this yesterday. I was like, what is Billy Zane up to? Because I'm watching the, the movie. A, he's bald. he's bald. Looks like Pitbull. Uh, like <laughs> the, the guy. <laughs> B, he is like, his hot take on Titanic all these years later is that Rose should have ran away with Cal. No. Yes. No, he, Whoosh. He's, he's embracing he's the character. No, he's embracing he's the character. He's got to roll with it. I, I, I want to be with Caleb and Dustin and believe, yeah, I, I want it to be a bit, because Billy Zane's eyebrows are too good for him to be evil. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Guys, he's been campaigning to play Lex Luthor for at least 20 years now. I, Come feel on. Like, I feel like Billy Zane has been sitting in a room really trying to figure out how he can get the Phantom 2 financed. <laughs> well, the man is an actor. you got to keep that in mind. He's okay? good. He is, not, he is not Cal. And he does a great job in Tombstone. He's that you know, oh, yeah. boss actor. He's very admirable and laugh, you know, laudable. So he's, he's not really that disgusting of a person, maybe. <laughs> Maybe. I mean, I don't know him. Didn't he but... do some pure, uh, pure flick stuff recently, though? Oh, gosh. I hope not. You got to do what you got to do sometimes. Yeah. Uh, there's a podcast <laughs> I do. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd be interested in knowing if that's true. <laughs> Listen, it's, it's, it, I don't think it's God not, God's Not Dead 3, but, you know, I think he had something in the works I read about semi-recently. Because... Where do I follow that production? Because <laughs> they put Shawn Michaels in one. It's a thing that happened. Now I need Billy Zane in one. I want, <laughs> I want, I want Pure Flix to eventually get every actor. Do you want a Billy Zane Shawn Michaels team up? Shit. Like a buddy cop? <laughs> yeah. A, uh, could the bad guy film? be Kevin Sorbo? Yes, of oh, course. He's still the atheist and Superman. Professor from What's his name? The emails. Yeah, isn't Superman in all those now? Uh, the one from TV. Oh, uh, Dean Kane? Yeah, Dean Kane. Yes, Cain. yes, he yeah, is. He is. Those, yes. Yeah. All right, riding the ship. I, I think back to Alex's point. Uh, I think that uh, I think Titanic earned its prestige. 
I, I, I was doing research and looking at the production history of this film. And, you know, this is a movie that was constantly going over budget. And, and there was a lot of fear from Cameron about what was actually going to happen here. And it really became a perfect storm. You know, Celine Dion didn't want to do the song. They had her do the demo. And that's what they use in the film. You know, I, I mean, he forfeited his director fee and, and the, the take from the, the box office or whatever. Yeah, and, there's all this talk right around 96 when this thing's still in production. Like Hollywood Reporter articles about, you know, James Cameron's Titanic lots of jokes about how it will bomb and sink like yeah. it, it was assumed to be a stinker everyone was sh- sure it was gonna yeah. lose money real tragedy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah i mean <laughs> this movie was one wrong step away from just being a total failure and laughing stock but I, I i mean i think it really put in the work and it earned its prestige at a level of like a casablanca which wasn't set out to be a prestige pick it was just a factory made studio film that has become one of the most beloved films of all time. And I think Titanic is in that realm, you know, with the Casablanca. And I think that's what kind of makes it more interesting. You know, there's so many films now that you're like, oh, it's Oscar bait. That's Oscar bait. That's Oscar bait. Obviously, it's for an award. But I don't think that's where Titanic was. I, I, I'm sure Cameron was hoping. Sure. But I, I don't think that was the intention. And I think that's adds to the kind of the intrigue of the film is is that it really earned that prestige. So the point you make, Arthur, and the point that Alex just made a few minutes ago, I think I'm um, tied together with the next thing I want to bring up. And that is um, that level of uh, just sort of eyeball saturation with seeing this film and also that Casablanca connection with its quotability, the way in which it becomes a meme before there are memes yes. at this point. And I guess, can we talk for just a minute about what we think about Titanic in general, or in specific, I guess, in terms of like that sort of cultural uh, touchstone where people are all the time doing some sort of, uh, you know, uh, parody of I'm the King of the World or something like that, and uh, how that has developed into the sort of meme culture that we live in now. We talked uh, in our watch last night about how uh, cruise ship etiquette must have been ruined thanks to this film. <laughs> Decimated. It never point. recovered. Cruise ships are... Uh, Cruise ships are like a, a joke to like do now or whatever, or like an inside joke. Um, but yeah, there's there's no way there's no way that people can't be annoying on those now. Don't king of the world on a cruise ship. Yeah, I actually watched an episode of The Office because sometimes I feel like watching something like that and uh <laughs> two and like the episode two days before we watched titanic was the one where they go on the drunk boat mm-hmm. and michael does it jim yep. makes a bet on how long it would take michael to do i'm king of the world off the bow and it was uh only like 30 minutes yep. well something i just think it's interesting about the pre-meme culture aspect of titanic is the problem with meme culture i, I feel just in general is that that everyone boils down their association and and memory of the movie to those like very specific moments, which is why I think Titanic. Everyone forgets all the amazing things about it, and they're all boiled down to the really cheesiest lines taken at a snapshot, and that's what all anyone remembers. The, and oh, it's, titties. It's this joke. Oh, one titty. Sorry, it's it's singular. <laughs> singular. Yeah. Oh, okay. I get that PG-13. Caleb was getting the count there. <laughs> this was a conversation <laughs> when we were okay, watching okay, it. Okay, this is actually... <laughs> sure, Caleb. Quick question. Was Is there, like, a limit on uh, cumulative titties in a frame of a picture? Because I, like, for MPAA the stuff... The MPAA doesn't have a technical rule for any of those kinds of things. There is, there is literally is not one. There is not one. However, in general practice, yes, a single nipple is what... <laughs> 
it, it, it can't can, can be present in a PG-13 film. Unless however, to, you're in the 1980s and it's the film uh, 16 Candles, in which case, two boobs. You know, and, it's a, and same like the F word. You know, you can have a single use of the F word in a PG-13 no, film, but not, only in a particular context. Yeah, you can't have sexual F words. You can say F you, but you cannot say may I please F you. Um, <laughs> 16 Candles. 16 Candles is... Sixteen Candles is pre PG thirteen though. Yeah, it's, P- it's okay. just straight up PG. Yeah, it's just straight yeah. up PG. Uh, the, yeah, they have no, of, no yeah. guidelines whatsoever. Uh, they actively refuse to say what they would look like, even if they did have such alleged guidelines. But their general practice looks like that. So yeah. <laughs> so what Caleb just it? said the meme culture has made us all stupider. Well done. I, I, mean, I mean, I sound like a really snobby curmudgeon because I, but I, I love memes. But like, I think about it, it's like when I'm ha- trying to have a serious conversation. Uh, with someone about Infinity War, and they make like a joke about it. And I'm like, I mean, yes, serious conversation in Infinity War. I got, I got it. But it's like, and 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 they immediately like quote a line from the movie, and I'm like, well, no, that's not really. They they just laugh off. Laugh the off. Matrix falls in this hole too a lot. Oh, I mean, sure. I think yeah, for sure. Like, I, I I rewatched the Matrix as an adult recently, uh, and I was just like, oh, it's so much more than I know kung fu. It's so good. Right. Or the Me- stupid right wingers using the red pill stuff, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Memes are sort of my uh, nom de plume, and I felt like I would jump in here. Um, it, it's not that memes make you stupider, even though you know, joke detected. Um, it, it, yeah, that's it, right. His name it is does, Meme Huffman. It that's does make you. Um, it does. It, it is an easy way to make you sit cynical if you're not if you're replacing it with thinking critically about the media you're consuming. Though. Absolutely. And sure. as a recovering media cynic, just for the rest of my life, uh, that, that comes from a very personal place. And Dustin, I have a question for you. Oh, no. You have two children. I do. Have they any, ha, I mean, have they, they seen this movie? They have. Okay. Had they, did they have any reference for this movie before they'd seen it? They did not. Okay. Cause the, the, the interesting thing that I've encountered with people who are like a generation or two generations behind me is they watch so much YouTube that uses the memes, but they but they actually never see the thing that the meme is about. So it's like all certain people know about this movie is I'm my boy, king of the world. My boy did laugh out loud at "Draw Me Like One of Your French Girls" because he had seen that in a meme, but that was it. And, and here's the thing, though. First of all, generation. You're talking decades, not generations. Not the same thing. Second, no, no. Thing, Gen, Gen Z is the next. Gen Z is the next. Whatever. Never a conversation. I am talking about at least one I, I, generation I behind me. I to not have you in my generation. Um, <laughs> that's the first thing. The second thing, uh, though, is is there is a way in which, if it's not immediate, there is no access within, especially like teenagers and twenty somethings. I think as a person grows older, they do sort of immerse themselves in more media. But I think there's something about adolescence particular here when it comes to that sort of isolation that you're talking about that in adolescence you see what is most recent and you see and listen to the things that your friends are liking and talking about and if they're not liking or talking about it you're not interested in it and so it has more to do with the sort of uh, ethics of cool I, I than think it has, does with that yeah. I, I think you can see this in the way that our generation of you know millennials learned a lot about the 50s 60s and 70s which was references on uh, Rugrats or uh, Animaniacs, like yeah. the ni- '90s cartoons are filled with references to like new Hollywood movie and even classical Hollywood movies. So I think it's the same thing. It's just you know the proto internet, you know, version of that. But I-, I think that is a part of maintaining cultural literacy to some extent. Is you learn about line uh, lines of dialogue and references uh, as a child, and as an adult, you go in and fill in those blank spaces where you don't have full context. I, th- I think. Uh, I, to your point, Caleb, I, I think you're right. I think that does keep keep us all in the dark about remembering how good Titanic is. 
but I, I think it probably keeps people's cultural literacy up. I mean, again, uh, one of your kids knew the draw me like one of your French girls line. So mm-hmm. like it keeps Titanic being part of the evolving conversation in a way that I think is interesting. It's sort of like everybody eats at Rick's, you know, you don't know it. And then you see Casablanca. Then yeah, you know this it. is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Yeah, I'd heard that hundreds yeah. of times before I saw Casablanca. Yeah. So, all right, well, cool. Well, that that's sort of the meta conversation um, that I wanted to get out of the way. Let's, let's get into the nitty gritty. Um, I'll let you guys pick class or sex. Which one do you want to have first? <laughs> that's how he starts every single uh, class that he's ever what, taught what makes my grade go up faster <laughs> this is why Dustin's I, I've only I've on that joke all day yeah this, this is this is why you're only an adjunct professor too right it's a very adjunct joke to make one. Uh, can we not do both and have a sex ed class? Uh, sex ed class well there you go well, uh, but, oh, when, well when a boat loves an iceberg very much <laughs> When James Cameron loves a boat very much. Um, okay, well let's let's go with let's go with the sexual stuff because I think it'll tie into tourism first. So first of all, let's talk about gender, and then we can talk about the phallic thing and um, the crazy Jim Cameron and his ego and all the production of this film, right? And the tourism that goes in. So gender politics in this movie, um, be jacked. Um, go. That's all I want to say. I'll just introduce it that way. Go ahead. You grab the mic. I actually, uh, I noticed a lot more this go around than I did even the more, like, even the most recent time I saw it when it was in theaters. Um, man, Jack sure is a manic pixie dream girl. Yes. He absolutely is. He exists solely for the purpose of Rose's character arc. I really appreciated that. I, I was talking to Arthur and Dustin off air uh, about this conversation that you, Kirsten, uh, that you and I and Heath had had last night about him being a manic pixie dream girl. Uh, and Arthur reminded me that uh, they made that same point on Unspooled, which you just mentioned earlier. That yeah, so this is people are picking up on this twenty years later that we didn't have a name for this character archetype yet. But in hindsight, yeah, I I think Leo does function very much that way in, in a way that's fun. He exists. It, it's it's so fun to see it like flipped on its head that he exists uh, so that she can find herself and fully become herself. He also exists so that she can rescue him. Which is wild. Uh, and they talk about, you know, they have that line of, we saved each other, and you know, or he saved me in every way that you can save a person. She literally, I mean, she has to, like, swim to the bottom of a sinking ship to uh, get, get, get him off of the, the, the pipe thing, that being shackled to the ship that is going down. And I don't know. I just, uh, it was refreshing in a way that I hadn't really thought critically about before um, to see that. I was going to say, I mean, Cameron has the affinity for strong female types and, and throughout his filmography, I think, and I think uh, Rose falls in that same lineup. Yeah, no, uh, ladies running towards danger is James Cameron's kink. Uh, but it, it never, you know, in films like Aliens and Terminator 2 especially, you know, it, it is very focused on uh, women becoming agents of combat. And, you know, we've we've talked about what a sticky wicket that can be on this show lots of times. Uh, I, I think Rose is, is a really interesting uh, version of this this archetype that Cameron likes to work with because she's also sitting in this this uh, poor little rich girl archetype that the film is smart enough to like pay direct lip service to, uh, and it's you know all helped out by Kate Winslet's just lights out performance. There is so much life going on in her eyes in every scene of this movie, and uh, I, I think anything that the script leaves. Uh, 
off the page. She she's able to do such a great job of filling in the blanks that I I think the character works really well. Uh, definitely more often than it doesn't, for sure. Yeah, I, I tend to agree as well. I mean, I, I think uh, Rose is a, such a strong character uh, for the film. But also we have to sort of like digress into that nasty sort of Victorian set of values that we're seeing in the 1912 of Titanic. Um, so we, we see, again, that battle against uh, property and ownership and all of that. And I, I know I'm all for it. And yet, I'm a little troubled because I really want to read it just the way you guys were talking. Um, the, the Manic tri- Pixie Dream Boy sort of turning that um, misogynist Manic Pixie Dream Girl thing on its head. I want that to be the thing and it to be awesome. But then what does Rose do with her life? You know, she basically, you know, she goes and she rides a horse, you know, normal. She rides she, a horse. She rides a horse. <laughs> she, she has an acting career. She learns how to fly a plane, and then, mark? But she maybe or gets Or she on played one. Amelia Earhart. She, she lives a... <laughs> She lives a fulfilled life as a woman, self-realized she, well, woman. She be, well, she becomes she, a grandmother. She, she popped out all those in, kids. In, in, uh, there's a way in which the film. So, then this is the conclusion. I bring about my memories and what I've done, but it's also my children. And then she sort of like inserts herself in sort of a very traditional, sort of life kind of role. And 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 and, and I think it, I don't know that that puts it on its head. But it does complicate it a little bit because what I liked with seeing was a lot of photographs of her and her girlfriend, but that's not what happened. From the photo montage at the end, she seemed into ev- into just about every mode of transportation except. <laughs> there are no. Boats. I know I like. Boats. I I know I like going places, but there's one way I don't like going places. <laughs> also. The relationship between the two of them uh, lasted about as long as it could have possibly been healthy. That's all I want to say. And I think we'll we'll definitely get to that because uh, I think that that bears parsing through. But uh, Dustin, I mean, there's there's this mention of her having been an actress uh, early in the film. I no, I, I think you're you're off base. I mean, I think that yes, it it definitely enters the dialogue of the film. Does it enter the dialogue in the film to the degree it does because of our own cultural values? Absolutely, uh, without a question, in fact. But I think the film does a good job of painting her as living a, a full, adventurous life that just happens to feature children that she's proud of. I, I mean, and this is I, I seriously a question for the ladies at the table. Uh, you know, if, if uh, a woman chooses to step into more traditional roles, especially after trying a lot of things, is that actually anti-feminist or pro-feminist? Oh, absolutely not. We don't know that she's a good mom. <laughs> Fact. Her granddaughter likes her, but yeah, we don't have anything other than that. Yeah. yeah. I, and I don't think that there's, I think that it is, I mean, equally as sexist to say that wanting children makes you a bad feminist as not wanting children. Like, you, you can't, it's all about the choice, right? It's she, the choice. she never implies at any point that she is, you know, against having children, just that her own you know, relationship with her mother is strained. Yeah. But, I mean, and there is that degree of like, indentured servitude that would have come in from marrying into high society in which she would have been like akin to like the royal family her job is making babies and looking pretty and letting servants carry around her shit and like things like that so um i i kind of oh man i i just think about this really you know is she self-actualized i think the thing that i get a little that it's not fully there because we have to think of this as a product that times it's almost there. Like, like you were saying, but the thing that gives me pause is that it's, it takes, it really takes Leo telling her to live a happy life and her not 
choosing to have a happy life out of wanting to do that because she experienced this terrible thing and she also you know wants to do it in kind of in memory of someone else um it takes him saying don't let go meaning like don't let go of your life your spark your energy your hoo-ha yeah whatever uh but but <laughs> please don't ever let go of your hoo-ha oh my <laughs> I did say that. I think it was more of a oh, oh wow. Like, yeah, yeah, play, yeah, yeah, whatever. Oh, but you're you're your judge. Your judge. Your judge. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but but it's yeah, it's the fact that he has. It's the telling of her to do it, like she's going to be told to sit down and shut up and make babies and wait on her husband. I, I mean, it's not. It's it's one of those things. It's like so in like ancillary to her actualization narrative that it like makes me even hesitant to bring it up but yeah it, it can't be perfect because of the you know times well and is that is that you know a product of a man telling her what to do or is that the product of two people who you know are as love as in love as you can be after, after knowing each days. other for several days on a crew on a glorified <laughs> cruise ship and you're drunk you know yeah and- exactly <laughs> I just found a weird sort of correlation between, you know, the life of looking pretty and making babies for an aristocrat as opposed to looking pretty and then eventually making babies for the sake of the director and uh, as an actress. And I thought, did she really move that far across the needle other than she was willing to do some more sort of, I guess, adventurous kind of things? I think Alex makes some really good points that actually uh, I know you wanted to talk more about that auteur stuff, Dustin, but maybe we can circle back to that because I think Alex made a great point that mm-hmm. allows us to segue to class. Uh, that is Leo's function as a magical poor boy in this movie, uh, and and the wisdom of the downtrodden, uh, you know the the uh, the inherent soulfulness of poverty, uh, and uh, you know all the all the shit that we're so used to and things that we talk about, and I think in that regard that is another place where the film falters, Alex. And not only does it uh, make you question this actualization that she has, but also makes you question where the film's like spirit of that is coming from. Cause it comes from this place of like romanticizing poverty, uh, that, you know, is cute, I guess, but also go fuck yourself. He sure does. He sure does glamorize being poor right up until the shit hits the van. The poor people dance on tables and have fun like they, those, unlike those rich pigs upstairs. They're all just smoking cigars and laughing and talking about politics and such. Um, well, one thing that it is interesting that the man who is among the most, most wealthiest people on the planet, you know, sort of glamorizes the life of the impoverished. I mean, I'm sure there was a point in his career where he didn't have a lot of money. Uh, I'm certain, but also it is kind of weird at this point. He's already had a very successful, established career where he's made millions. So it is kind of a little bit sticky, I think. Well, and it's also an interesting point. Okay, whenever Cal makes the comment like, "Oh yeah, you could totally come and talk in our cigar boy party, but we're just gonna be talking about politics and business, and you won't fucking understand." And like, but then that's the like you ex- you kind of laugh at that, and you're like, "Oh, d- he doesn't know shit, haha." But then they go down to the lower decks where everyone's having fun and arm wrestling and being goofy and all this stuff, and it's like, was the point that that he was proving him right no they're not talking about business and politics i mean is that like it's one of those things that you take on face value as being oh he's just being an an asshole but it's like but then the next scene is everyone's like just cutting loose and fancy free and no one has any worries or thinks about tomorrow until they're about to drown to death 
An interesting thing about that whole exchange is that when you go down to the to the lower decks, the lower class, there's no longer any gender segregation. Mm, that too. As long as we're, you know, talking about this kind of overlap of gender and class, like the women and the men seem very much, you know, in the same. Oh, God. I almost just said in the same boat. Oh! <laughs> I'm so sorry. Bless you. Um, oh, no. but I mean, you know, they're, they're, you know, they're all down there partying together and yeah. she's smoking and drinking and showing Staying on her toes. Yeah, and... Exactly. And, uh, but upstairs, you know, um, Billy Zane makes the derogatory comment of good heavens. You're not going to stay out here with the women. I don't think. Yeah. yeah. The first half of the film, it felt like watching James Cameron walk by a homeless man asking for money on the street and going, ah, damn, if only. <laughs> What's it like, man? Um, also, I kind of, I kind of read a uh, casting choice that he made as cowardly because he really just made uh, traditionally poor multi-ethnic whites. Uh, he supplanted them for Romani people in a very obvious way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the second half of the film is James Cameron saying, "Being rich, hey, turns out kicks way more ass." <laughs> Than than being poor, you, you might not have a soul, but you leg room on the lifeboat. <laughs> you might uh, not have a soul, but you've got those cigars and bourbon, and you got a lifeboat. So here, here, oh man, okay. So here is the thing I've been thinking about, and this may be a vague rant. I don't know. Let's, Let's see what go. happens. Oh, uh, gosh, <laughs> Let's buck take us to church. Take now, us to church. Now, now Slavo Zizek writes about this idea. Christ, of it wouldn't be thing. episode three hundred if we didn't have Slavo Zizek joining us. <laughs> Okay. Hey, hey, listener, if you're new to the show, it's going to be a minute. Strap in. Okay, there's a class vampirism uh, trope in film that Zizek writes about. This idea that throughout films you find, like the Manic Pixie Dream Girl from which uh, someone gets life and meaning and purpose and those kind of things from that it also happens in terms of class frequently in films, where there's some upper crust, bougie sort of person, and they find a little bit of time living on Skid Row and the down and outs, and through that they're able to sort of find the meaning of life and live life better and return back to their upper echelon but they're much more happy and fulfilled and doing that kind of stuff. And, and there is a way in which that's sort of at work here with this as well, is that what Rose does is she goes on, does a little voluntourism. She goes on a mission trip. She's slumming so, it. And, and slums it for a little while and likes their music and the way they dance when they have their parties, unlike the way we dance and have our parties. There's a definite counterpoint between the church service and what's going on there down below. And because I spent a week weekend, you know, in the Dominican Republic or something like that, then somehow I understand what it's like to live on the dark side and the troublesome side of life. And now I can go back to my life and pretend like none of that stuff ever affected me because I still got on a boat and got out of the disaster and keep going. And so it sort of perpetuates some of that madness and it puts my panties in a twist. I just wanted to start a potato farm. And they killed me like a caricature on the side of the boat. I, Patio furniture, everyone. I, Thank you. I wanna, I wanna, I wanna, I wanna clarify something I said a second ago, which is that James Cameron glamorizes being poor. What I meant to say is that he fetishizes being poor. That's correct. Ooh, yeah. He fetishizes a lot of things in this film. <laughs> just for the, just for the people keeping Italian at home. Boats. Women punching men in the face. Feet? Poverty. Um, Italians. hands. Uh, DiCaprio is a reverse Tarantino for sure. <laughs> He's a hand guy. That's all. That's that's my scoreboard that's at awesome. least. Uh, 
though, okay, I do want to pose a question, and, and seriously, maybe I need clarification on the at the conclusion of the film. She she gets a clean slate at the end, right? So she actually has no money at the end of the film, and she has to work her way up through the system. Plot hole. So the diamonds in one pocket. You know what's in the other pocket? All of cash. That cash. Do we? Do, oh, is it? Is there? I guess, I guess so. Yeah. He gives part. Of, well, he gives part of it to the guy, but he doesn't give it all. I mean, there's like two big stacks of it that are probably four or five, six inches um, wide that he pulls out of the safe. Also, and that so guy throws back a lot of it mm-hmm. at him and says, "You're what? I don't know." What does he say? Your money's not, not gonna save your money. So yeah, your money's not gonna save me any more than it's gonna save you. Wise, I have no reason but to think that she's not loaded with cash. I, I see. I, I think I would differ a little bit. I, I mean, she probably has money. Yes, she probably. It, the movie, because the movie definitely turns a blind eye to what else is in the pockets of that jacket. But I mean, I think my takeaway was that she probably had not a lot of money to start with. I mean, if whatever was in the jacket. And kind of had to work her way up as a kind of like a nobody, an immigrant almost of sorts, which again does not solve the problem you're talking about, which Still is very a real. Strappy kind of tale. Right? Oh yeah, yeah, very, very. Yeah, well, you took I, me to church with that voluntourism reading. Man, those. I also want to say in Rose's defense that being an actor at that time is not quite the glamorous business that it is today. Correct. So and yeah, a lot of people in her what would have been you know her family's sort of class ranking would probably have turned up their noses as at such a a, a base craft yeah. as yeah acting, acting more in that era. I mean, with vaudeville and all that stuff. I mean, it, it reminds me more of like carnies and like wrestlers, like going from town to town doing show after show. Like I'm reading one. Of, I'm reading uh, one of. Uh, the book's written about Danny Kaye's life. And that, that stuff is hard. Just like what they had to do just to scrape two dimes together. Which is what brings me to sort of my next thought, is that the movie starts out in a way that you think it hates upper class. It hates wealth. It, it sees what's going on and all that and sees all its ridiculous prejudices and just all of its idiosyncrasies as something that's terrible and awful and wicked. And so what then happens, though, to Rose is that she is able to bootstrap herself into a position where she has access to airplanes in the early part of the 20th century, which is not inexpensive, and able to do so in such a way that she's able to learn how to fly an airplane, which is not something women typically get access to unless there's a lot of green lining their applications and so there's a way in which she becomes a typical american story of making it all by yourself again based on this sort of experience of poverty and and so it's it's weirdly uh, anti-class but it's also sort of pro-capitalism libertarian oh oh, definitely pro-capitalism yeah well and that's i mean look this is a good time to get to uh the titanic as a a microcosm for uh, america yes please Uh, but I mean, yeah, that is the narrative. It is through this great tragedy and this great learning of oneself that you you gain the emotional and spiritual clarity to achieve your dreams and uh, chase your bliss or whatever the fucking buzzword is, uh, and be live, rich, laugh, love. and be rich, and be and become <laughs> famous, and yeah, and live. If you're not living and you're not laughing, you're not loving, and you got it. You got to do the triple L's. Yeah, it, it just it's you know it's proto multi level marketing, proto multi level religion, fucking buzzwords. Uh, and it's the same stuff, man. A hundred years later, we're saying the same things to each other. And you're right. I mean, it does go back to that well, uh, because the film doesn't have the courage of its convictions to let her live a boring life. Um, because I think that's the more interesting movie is you Dustin posited the, you know, Rose and her wife being the more interesting film for sure. Uh, but I think the, the also interesting version is the version where she doesn't become a movie star. She, you know, you know, works as a mail clerk 
and has a, a seamstress. Happy, well, no, yeah, has an emotionally she's happy a life. Riveter. It's obvious. It's already there. Rosie the Riveter. She Damn. had the opportunity. They just didn't she was even the one. think about it. Talk I about think, that branding. I think the shorthand implication of her character, though, is that she was never meant for a normal life. She was. She was always meant. Well, for yeah, something she looks more. like Kate Winslet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Almost identical to. That's own. true. No matter how poor she is, she's still incredibly hot, and we can't sell that short. No. Yeah, Deca- um, Jack Dawson made her not like other girls. This is the subtext here. You know what I mean? <laughs> he do look like a scrub next to her, I don't know though, if right? I want to... You know, actually, I disagree with that. I don't want to make that because of him. I think that he may have, you know, helped empower her to leave her situation, but she already hated that guy. That's true. She already, you know, very outwardly disagreed with her mother and her family she and never... did did not want to Who's to say You're right. It was like a it was a lightning rod, a push. Who's yeah, who's to say that though that like, you know, after she gets off that boat, oh, we should also talk about the fact that she absolutely tried to leave her betrothed while literally in like a bottle with him, uh, <laughs> which is not a good after decision. After jewelry cucking him. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, as you coined it last night. But you're, you're right, though, Kirsten. I mean, she doesn't bring up Jack to her, you know, the person that she's married to until that guy's death, to any of her kids, to her granddaughter until this time. I mean, she's over Jack. I mean, it's a big part of her life. I don't want to give she... him that credit. Uh, yeah. Maybe yeah, maybe, she, maybe I mean... she got out of it faster because she met him and it made her realize all at once. But God... Maybe she would have gone on to poison Billy Zane over time. Well, or... there was a ma- well, there was there was maybe I a small su- that movie. There was maybe a small suggestion that she did it. <laughs> she, she crashed the boat in the iceberg. I never. <laughs> I, no, 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 no. I never saw Cal again. That would be. But I heard he shot himself <laughs> during the I'm Great t- Depression. <laughs> yeah. I don't know though. I never he, uh, saw him again. <laughs> Um, yeah, the, I read that Cal put a, a gun in his mouth during the Great Depression, and uh, uh, the soul left his eyes. What actually <laughs> happened? Or I read it. Slowly Rose walks up behind him and says, yippee ki and I, I'm all about it. Well, you know, it was uh, Jack and Rose that were making out underneath the, the, the nest or the watchman's thing that actually caused them to not turn fast oh, enough. Dang. So it was all part, oh, it was all part of the plan the to get out of the crappy marriage. Yeah. It's a great movie. Oh, uh, it's fun. There's a lot to talk about. So as we sit here uh, talking about culture and all of these fun things here at the end of all things, uh, as the world's on fire, let's talk about being on a sinking ship, shall we? Yes, indeed. So what? Titanic as metaphor, go. Environmentalism. Uh, we're <laughs> global warming. We're all going to die, but we're just going to play, play the violin as the, sink, the ship sinks. Uh, to the bottom of the ocean, and the rich people are going to be generally okay, but if the poorer you are, the more likely you're going to snuff it or fight over shit to get yourself off the boat, and uh, we're just going to ignore everything until it's too late a problem for us to solve it, uh, so you better get your fucking prep bag going right now, buddy. The end uh, of the day, where every day is Black Friday. Yeah. Thing, or the end of the world, rather. A thing, a thing that I noticed while watching last night is that privilege really extends to being able to ignore the truth. Yes. Which is that, you know, the people in steerage are at the bottom and they are in the water the, where, where the ship is sinking. Like, they, they cannot possibly ignore the fact that we're all going down in this motherfucker while the rich are up top literally being lied to and told it's just a precaution 
everything is fine, but please go ahead and put on a life vest. Yeah, the last half of the movie sure felt like 10 seconds, so I'm not sure of the timeline uh, here, but uh, men died in the, uh, kind of on the nose here, bottom of the ship already, and the richest people straight up were allowed or... I guess privileged enough to just not know about it for a real long time, dancing, drinking, having a good time. You literally, you, you literally get to ignore the apocalypse the longest, which is uh, sort of a disgusting idea. Well, I mean, it goes back to the the basic concept of like the hardest hit impacted areas will cause the most fleeing. So, what are we seeing in today? Societies in which they're really uh, affected by global warming and um, migration patterns changing and the environment changing. We have an influx of immigrants coming from these areas because they're trying to flee those areas. And yet we're locking our borders, all uh, our little cabin gates uh, to not let them in our borders because we are still pretending that nothing is wrong. You guys are just freaking out for no reason. Just go ahead and stay <laughs> below deck. Uh, by the way, we've got a gun. I will shoot you if you keep banging on these uh, on these walls. I can't believe nobody was on the Titanic and said, why are there baby gates on this boat that are for adults? <laughs> Well, and I think the movie, uh, following the analogy a little bit there, there is this idea of people who are, you know, uh, under the employ of the Titanic or, uh, or, or the government perhaps, uh, maybe selling out their lifeboats to, uh, incredibly, especially wealthy people. Um, you know, maybe not conscious free, but they're, they're totally on board. They're all part of the scheme of like, yeah, rich people get off first. It's fine. You have the resources, uh, uh until it's too late, I guess. I want to talk about for just, Four seconds. Uh, how on the Titanic, the walls that they built in the bottom of the ship to keep the water out didn't work. In fact, we're part of the problem, right? Wasn't that like like the way the ship was was supposedly indestructible was a big part of why it sank, right? Uh, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. That's true. Uh, if well, I mean, if it had more even if. This is getting into the logistics of how the Titanic was built. And uh, hi, welcome to Science Quarter. Do it. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm riveted. Quit backing out. So, okay, they were trying to, um, yeah, they were trying to essentially like have uh, a way to like block the water from entering other parts of the ship. But what happened was is that when those uh, when those walls came down to um, keep the water in, essentially the water was over because they weren't airtight compartments. The water was overflowing into the next compartment and into the next compartment. And had they not used or had those walls to control the flow of the water, the Titanic would have gone straight down as opposed to going down at an angle um, and then snapping in half and probably many more lives could have been saved and it would have so not. you're saying if you build a 15 foot wall someone might show up with a 17 foot ladder it doesn't work. the, the water, water? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well uh, we're, we're still doing the metaphor thing right yeah yeah. yes yes and it just causes the other sinking uh, to but but we were saying i i to fall I, th I think i'm following you dustin so what you're saying is oh yeah we're going to put these safeguards to keep the whole ship afloat, but actually it's a part of the problem that is going to be Snap taken down by half. nature anyway. You remember because of uh, because of human hubris. Yeah, I think you can control as the problem. Sanford uh, so rightly pointed out, yeah. Life finds a way and so does chaos, man. This well, is like automatic seatbelts. Duh, comrades, and I said very little. And uh, after 300 episodes, I'm not responsible for you guys thinking any of those thoughts, but I'm going to take 
Great. Yeah, hey, the longer it, this goes on, it sure does look more like a cult, huh? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's upsetting. Because, yeah, that makes me real happy. This is about the size of a church small group. I'm, oh, man. In fact, we were actually in church raising our hands a few minutes ago. Yeah, I'm deeply uncomfortable. Candles now. are lit. Candles are lit. <laughs> there were... There were snacks. Did anybody see a salt circle at any point? On the pretzels. <laughs> There is a bucket of Auntie Anne's pretzels. I for... brought the pretzels. <laughs> well, I'll be the first to say I'm weak-willed and I'm sold. <laughs> welcome, welcome. Uh, well, I think this is as good a transition as any to render a verdict regarding this film. Well, we got to do the thing that we always do, shelf or trash, and then else or instead. Uh, your syllabus is about to get real longer, Lister, because there's a lot of po- folks here today in the circle. I go to you first, Dalton, shelf or trash, else or instead. You know, we, we've talked a lot the last couple of weeks about how we are going to be much more strict in the shelving and the trashing this year. We're going to really, you know, we, we have decided that sh- being shelved is really being added to the good trash canon in some ways. Uh, so with those new rules in play, I still say it goes on the shelf. I think it's one of the biggest damn movies ever made. Uh it's not nearly as racist as many of the other biggest movies ever made. Uh, again, by virtue of the fact that not a single a person of color ever appears on screen. But look, you know, James Cameron knows he's an idiot, so at least he avoided it, frankly. Uh, and, uh, you know, in this case, the actress from Aliens and T2 shows up in uh, Greenface instead of uh, Brownface. So that's good. Vasquez from Aliens is not a Hispanic woman. I don't know that she's Irish, but Greenface is hilarious to me. So, uh, yeah, it's a big, it's yeah, oh, potato. No, <laughs> she's no, right. No, 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 no. You can't just say that. You, you can't, can't just, say just that. call somebody that. <laughs> Wait, is Potato Face a thing? No, stop saying it. <laughs> <laughs> and by no, stop no, saying it. I mean yes, stop it. saying it. Do not do invent it. a new slur on this. We don't need for there to be any more. Hold on, it's. Potato face is our is our word. Stop it! <laughs> it's. So. <laughs> 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 so. Don't I swear to God? Don't say it one more time. <laughs> Starch faces aside. Uh, <laughs> Stop it! This is. A very- I want this to be good. <laughs> And I know somebody who's not letting me do that. I want to have this be good. It's a good film. Uh, and I, I think it's, uh, for all of the reasons we have mentioned, it's important. Uh, so I say you definitely shelf it. What should you pair with it? Uh, I'm going to add a couple of things. Uh, a film that I think goes with it well, and then just films from our leads that I like. Uh, check out Kate Winslet and Little Children with Patrick Wilson. Great film. Uh, sadder than Titanic, if you can believe it. Uh, somehow it manages. I'm going to say Django Unchained because I like Leo DiCaprio as a scumbag more than I like him as a good boy because uh, I buy it more. And last but not least, The Florida Project, another film about uh, the struggle of poverty in the face of something that's supposed to be fun for the whole family. Uh, and real quickly, Nick Sanford also says Shelf, and he did pairs uh, with some Elsa's to, to pair with Titanic. And he's uh, Inception, Shutter Island, The Revenant, What's Eating Gilbert Grape, and The Beach, because they're all invo- films that involve something terrible happening to Leo, invo- something terrible happening to Leo involving water. So, 
There are my picks and Nick Sanford's picks. There you go. Thank you very much for that, both of you. Miss Alexander Bohannon, what say you? Show for trash elsewhere instead. Hi. Um, I will take this on the shelf, please, because it is, it's a, it's a film that's like so worth this merit of discussion because there's so much there. Um, and I mean, even just take off your analytical hat for a minute. Like you got to feel some stuff watching this movie, man. Like when's the last time you got to really watch a movie and just fully feel, feel this hard. It's been a while. So, um, I, so I'm going to say shelf. I'm going to pair this with an interesting pick, but very relevant in terms of our last metaphor discussion. Uh, first reformed of this year, I think is, um, uh, if you want to go further to Jesus after this, after Titanic, well, uh, watch First Reformed and you'll certainly, uh, be called there as, uh, well. Um, I would also pair with it if you want to go for another popular movie, uh, that has interesting discussions on class that won Academy Awards that people frequently, um, you know, it's, it's not, um, over overhyped at all uh like titanic it's west side story because i mean the while there's like there's not a lot of like plot similarities but there's definitely stuff there and it's kind of before the academy was like let's stop like paying attention to popular movies because those suck apparently um and also um just a side note if you want to see some interesting uh stuff in terms of what else could happen after the Titanic crashes? Uh, the first season of Downton Abbey does a really interesting job of discussing what happens to a rich family when uh, the heir to their fortune dies on the Titanic. Um, and uh, what does the family do now? Um, and the solution is uh, find someone else to marry for one of their daughters. Uh, so that's another uh, three interesting picks from yours truly. Thank you very much. Alex, what do you say, Heath? Uh, as, like I said before, uh, memes are sort of my petite déjeuner, right? And, uh, and I... It's just a different French word. And, uh, no, it's not. I'm, I... And I had kind of grown up around that age <laughs> where sort of primarily all my media consumption came firsthand from memes. And so, uh... And, and, uh, paired with a, uh, paired with a comical childhood trauma that I mentioned, uh, and, uh, just getting memed, getting Titanic memed at me first, um, my brain was already stale and rotten and bad in like, uh, sort of a distillation of a distillation of pop culture kind of way. I mean, it um, has been 84 years. Yes, it has. Uh, <laughs> uh, but this movie really challenged my, um, sort of, uh, smoky jacket cool guy cynicism when it comes to watching popular things it, it's an easy so what's the synopsis there's a lot of uh there's a lot of stuff oh, i'm so sorry there's a lot of stuff with class that makes you think but falls flat because james cameron points at rich people and says fuck them and dollar bills fly out of his sleeves um <laughs> But what? <laughs> that stuff's bad. The Italian guy sounds like Borat. Don't like that. <laughs> but you know what works? The love story. The humanity behind all of this stuff. Especially the way uh, rules and uh, society collapses in a uh, the timeline of that and how rules uh, only 
keep applying to the least of us and things like that. Um, so I'm going to give it a shelf. I think it's important. I think it's important to, uh, it's an important thing to relate to people on and it's an, an important thing to feel, um, a specific way about. And, uh, as far as Elsa's, if you uh, want more manic pixie dream boy stuff, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Jim Carrey's Cat in the Hat. If you, <laughs> if you want uh, more of Leonardo DiCaprio kissing and dying, uh, Romeo and Juliet. Um, and if you want more disaster films that remind that remind you of things that could happen, that remind you of the way the world already is, John Cusack's Twenty Twelve. And Snowpiercer. I know you hate Snowpiercer, Kirsten. I do. Oh, you you do? remembered. But I like that very much. Thank you very much, Heath. What do you say, Caleb? Uh, well, no, I, I think this film is fantastic. I think uh, we can all agree that it's culturally relevant uh, in the year 20, oh, 2019 now. And, and then it's stuck around. It's a, it's a powerhouse film. And despite being meme culturified, it's still going back, holds up as a tremendous, tremendous, um, you know, accomplishment uh for filmmaking uh and i think it's a great it's a great sweet romantic uh whimsical romance so for that shelf it uh for my else's i want to talk mention a couple of other movies about boats sinking uh first off is if you want something a little more spiritual you can go watch life of pi where one man comes uh, uh encounters god and learns what that means in his life i thought that was a really great film that is very underrated uh, and then another one that is very underrated that almost no one has heard of is a, a little film starring Robert Redford called All is Lost, where it's basically a si silent film, and he's just on a sinking ship, and all hope seems lost. So check it out. And lastly, not a sinking ship, although I guess it could be a sinking ship in the future, is uh, one of my favorite romances uh, about a couple who just hit it off uh, in really weird, unlikely circumstances, uh, Richard Linklater's Before Sunrise, specifically the first one, because they're both young and they haven't built a relationship yet, and it re the relationship between Jack and Rose reminded me a lot of that film. So those are my recommendations. All right, thanks very much. Caleb, what do you say, Kirsten? Uh, I want to watch this film in reverse uh, so that you get... <laughs> So that you get all of the like horrible like bodies frozen in the ocean uh, at the beginning, and then you get uh, uh, all of the nerds geeking out and showing this woman how the boat went down uh, with no with, Titanic. with with the use with the use of computer technology at the end, so that you can just really soak in the tragedy boner that. <laughs> That all of those, all of those men who are uh, who are who are doing the, the dives to go get stuff back from the Titanic in the really backwards have. in the backwards version, the twist is that Jack learns he was Cal the whole time. <laughs> yeah, Dalton was it was Guy it, Pierce is John G. Was it you or was it Heath that was like, do we know for a fact that Jack existed? And that was me. Okay, that's that was me. <laughs> I, I I did I did pitch Jack uh, and Rose having a Tyler Durden narrator thing going on. Solid. So there's a lot. I don't know. There's a lot of really interesting things going on. I think that it's incredibly culturally relevant for many many reasons that we have previously discussed. Uh, so I think it is extremely shelfable, um, despite you know it's three hour fifteen runtime. Is there a director's cut of this movie? I hope not. I don't not. think so. No. Okay, I know that there are deleted. I know that there are somehow deleted scenes, um, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I was momentarily appalled. <laughs> I think 
I think this film definitely belongs on God, I mean, everyone's shelf. Honestly, I mean, it's got that broad appeal of you know, it has a lot to say, but I don't think that it's you know gonna take a whole ton of digging for those things that it has to say for it to be enjoyable um, to pretty much you know anyone. Um, I think it's very shelfable. So uh, as as for else, um, I have a. I have a slew of suggestions, and some of them are going to sound insane, but I have justifications, I promise. Uh, if you want more rich people freaking out because it's kind of the end of the world and their money won't save them, the first, the, the, sorry, I, can't, I keep wanting to say the first purge, but the first purge is a sequel the, to the, the original purge, purge. The original, the purge. Um, purge classic. Purge classic. <laughs> Not new purge. <laughs> Oh my! Uh, New Purge is also Purge very flavor. good, though. Is it? I haven't seen the most recent one. Uh, the most recent one is also actively uh, about uh, classicism, just uh, okay. on the other shoes. So, All right. yeah, it's awesome. Great. Okay, yeah, I haven't seen that one yet. I did watch the first three of them though in like one day, They're which so was good. absolutely insane. Uh, but I think that the first one is um, underrated. Um, if you want another uh, tragedy about the end of the world that has a lot more to say about other things, uh, melancholia um is also i mean it's it's gorgeous as well um so check that one out if you haven't um and then uh the last one which is just for those of you who uh, are into those strong female characters uh, that also takes place at the end of the world uh 10 cloverfield lane i feel like is is really good um these are not necessarily movies that share the same uh the same uh, feeling and tone as Titanic, so I think that I think they'd pair well for for that reason. As a matter of fact, get kind of a, a palate cleanse there. All right, thank so. you very much, Kirsten. I appreciate that. What do you say, Arthur? Shelf or trash? Else or instead? I think for all the reasons already listed, I will say shelf. I, I do think it holds a special place in in cinema and in pop culture. So shelf it. Uh, else, I think you know. Uh, Avatar is to Pocahontas as um, as Titanic is to Lady and the Tramp. So I'd watch Lady and the Tramp. Well played. Nice pick. I would also watch Jurassic Park. I think that one works. Um, another film about a woman trying to find her agency uh, at a much later period in her life. Uh, 2018's The Wife uh, with Glenn Close, uh, which is just a great film. Uh, and, so, and then lastly, I, I would highly recommend the little scene 2002 sequel to Titanic, uh, Ghost Ship. Um, which I think is just a fun, you know, after spending three and a half hours with uh, Titanic, you can uh, cool off with some ghost ship. Awesome. Thank you very much for that, Mr. Arthur Gordon. I also say shelf. That is seven votes all the way around. That's extraordinary. Wow. Um, and yeah, it's, it's definitely part of the popular culture. It's a movie you gotta know. It's a movie that you don't just have to know. I'm the king of the world. You need to see the movie and be part of that for your cultural literacy. I think it's that important. Um, is it the best movie of all time? No, I'm not gonna say that kind of thing, but I think it's definitely something that belongs in that canon. Um, I'm gonna make two recommends. One is more of a, uh, I guess we'll say production history kind of recommend. And one is um, sort of a semi-tongue-in-cheek, semi-political, semi-joke um, uh, sequel to uh, Titanic, and that is Harlan County, USA, a film made in 1976, directed by Barbara Koppel. It is what happened to those people who were in steerage, who did actually make it off the boat to the United States, and how they all went to Appalachia, worked in coal mines, and had to put together a strike. It's a great little documentary film about a coal mining strike, and uh, not enough people have seen it. So Harlan County, uh, USA, is 
a sort of a follow-up sequel that has less of the uh, weird bootstrappy um, libertarian bourgeoisie Cameron stuff going on in it. The other recommend I want to have is the blockbuster. This movie is that. And I, I'm thinking about just one that involves water and disaster and strange Freudian connections. And that cannot be but Jaws. Um, I, again, is it the same kind of movie? Is it the same kind of experience? No. But it is just as well made. It is just as much a cultural touchstone. And it is just as much a part of the conversation. And so I would say if you're watching Titanic, Jaws would be an interesting, I think, second pair as well. So Steven Spielberg comes two times in a row, huh, Arthur? So there you go. That's 300 episodes. I've only heard that. I've, I've, I've not had first-hand experience. I can't confirm either. I have also heard he comes two times in a row, though. Oh, yeah. my And goodness. I thought Christmas only came once a year. <laughs> That's it, 300, I'm done. Are you no, sure? You, run. you signed on for this Western thing for at least Don't another you, month and a half. Hey, you get to watch Butch Cassidy for next week, though. Okay. Yeah, I've been thinking. I think next week we're going to go down to Bolivia. Okay, you talked me into it. I'll go. All right. So there you go. Um, thank you again, illustrious co-hosts. Um, plug your stuff, all of you. Do the things and tell me about all the stuff that you're doing. Let's go down the line, starting with Alex, if you don't mind. Uh, you can find my work uh, on thecinematropolis.com. That's at thecinematrop on Twitter. You can find um, my personal Twitter account at Alex V. Brohannon, B-R-O-H-A-N-N-O-N. Um, that's where I tweet about movies, wrestling, nerd shit, whatever. So that's that. Heath, say the words. Uh, you can find me online personally on Twitter at Premium Thinker. You can find my what? <laughs> it's a good handle. Yeah. I was just waiting for it. I've been waiting for you saying that all day. Yeah, no, I, I think you know the answer to what. Yeah. Uh, you can find uh, my podcast, The Praise Down, with Heath and Alex on uh, goodtrashmedia.com or on Twitter at The Praise Down. You can also find uh, Paneled. Uh, on Twitter at Paneled Podcast, on Twitter or Instagram, and both of my podcasts are available uh, on iTunes, Stitcher, whatever your preferred medicinal podcast dispensary is. Thank you very much for that. Um, Caleb, where are you at? Uh, well, of course, you can find me um, writing, mostly producing podcasts monthly at thecinematropolis.com. Uh, our monthly podcast is The Cinematic Schematic, uh, and this month we're talking all about M. Night Shyamalan, uh, The Rise, The Fall, and The We Were Hoping Redemption. We're not quite so sure at this point in time. We'll find out this week a uh, story about his career. Uh, and uh, Alex and I, uh, we're also doing a, a little interview miniseries on the Cinematic Schematic. Where we have monthly interviews with uh, composers of uh, film, television, video games, YouTube, all sorts of stuff that you can check out there. So find that, uh, the Cinematic Schematic podcast, on your favorite preferred podcast uh, listening device. You can find me on Twitter, at C Masters Talk. That's letter C, Masters Talk. All right. Thank you for that. Uh, Kirsten, where are you at? Uh, yes, so you can find uh, all of my written works uh, at goodtrashmedia.com um, under the Frightful Femme. Uh, I write about feminism and horror movies over there. Um, and you can find me on Twitter at Cranston. That's K-R-A-N-S-T-I-N, uh, where I mostly tweet dumb jokes and also occasionally about horror movies. And sometimes I go on political rants. So join me for that. Awesome, awesome. And of course, I'm still Dustin. Sorry, I wasn't ready for that. I'm still at doll underscore stew. Not that you would want to bother with that. And I am at the Arthur Gordon. Oh, I didn't get my Twitter. I'm at Dustin underscore cells. It doesn't matter. Yeah, nobody cares. I thought that's what you were doing. No, yeah. no, was, <laughs> no. We're doing the Patreon thing. I'm still Dustin. You're still Dalton. Yep. I'm still Arthur. 
maybe. I no. guess. I don't know. Three hundred episodes. Do, I'm you, exhausted. Does anybody have we any? Are a hive mind. Does anybody have any thoughts on the big three o o? Any 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 words to mark the occasion? Oh come on. No. Yeah, I don't. I don't get it uh, either. Hey, I'll, you. I'll, I'll I'll hop in and just say thank you guys so much for uh, inviting myself to be on the the podcast. Um, you guys are in a weird sort of uh, Oklahoma way. My family that I've connected with over the fan, uh, over the years, and even though I haven't been on the show uh, as recently, um, the the time we spend together on this podcast, talking around the microphone, has really changed my life and my worldview. And Dustin and all your camaraderie nonsense is actually sinking every once in a while. So I just want to say thank you so much for continuing to do this podcast for 300 episodes. It really is making a difference uh, for listeners and for those of us who come on the show. Aw, thank you. And I just want to add really quickly, is it too late for us to do the 300 instead? Oh, it is. I had originally pitched that, but it was shot down. So uh, thank Dalton. Thank God for Dalton. Episode 600, we do 300, the sequel starring Ava Green. Oh and release it twice. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do 300 and 300 Rise of Empire. It'll be a double header. You want me to stay till 600? I don't what know if you'll live you that going long. On? I don't think I will either. I don't know that. I'm pretty sure Dalton won't. If, uh, if America is still around and uh, we still have internet, I guess we can talk about it then. But until then, you keep watching, we'll keep talking, and we'll see you all next time. Thank you for tuning in to the Good Trash Genrecast, brought to you by the Good Trash Media Network. For all things Good Trash, head on over to GoodTrashMedia.com. Our intro music is made by friend of the show, Aaron Rodgers, and our outro music is I'm on a Boat by The Lonely Island. Get your towels ready, it's about to go down Everybody in the place hit the fucking deck But stay on your motherfucking toes We running this, let's go I'm on a boat, I'm on a boat Everybody look at me cause I'm sailing